Hi, I'm Mark Janowski with ABC7 Sports. You're listening to The Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Rhino, you know, if we listened to our shows about a month ago, the opening, you would have a much different feel and, and, and kind of vibe. Are you vibing right now? Is this team vibing? Man, there is, uh, there is one thing, Chad, that makes me so happy right now, and it is seeing how well the Cubs are playing. It is so cool when you turn on the TV and, you, you know, to, when you get home from work and you're like, oh, the Cubs are winning and they won again. It is such a fulfilling feeling, and I just want it to keep going. We're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into um, Jed Hoyer and David Ross's decisions as they navigate all the injuries and people coming off of injuries and the masterful job that they have done. We're going to talk about as well one of the toughest stretches in in, uh, the Cubs season. So many... uh, away games against some top teams in in their in in each of the divisions all that in a big interview we do have a huge interview mark shinowski from abc7 in chicago just returning to a place where he used to be now he's back on air there he's going to chat with us talk about all things that are going on with this baseball team so stick around because the friendly confine starts right now Hi, everybody. He's Chad Gordon. I'm Ryan Lieber. And Chad, let's start as we always do in the first inning. And man, does winning feel really, really good. The Cubs are on fire right now, Chad. This has been really fun to watch. This has been a really fun team to watch. And man, I just want to keep the good vibes going. What do you feel like and how does it look when you look at this Cubs team to think they are in the position they are in in first place in the NL Central? I'm not surprised. I told you when this season started, before it started, that core four guys are still there. There's still some decent pitching there. I am surprised by what's happened with all of the utility players, all of the role players, all of the guys that have been interchangeable, how this team has battled adversity, how the bullpen has been now pretty much the best bullpen in all of baseball. Um, It's pretty incredible. And when you look at, what this team has done, 11-1 and one against the Mets, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Cardinals. I mean, this is a team that has come out, um, and I have a theory. This team kind of feels to me like 2015. This is a team that everybody said it wasn't ready yet. In fact, probably wasn't going to be ready ever. And, and this team is playing with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. This team was counted out a couple weeks into the season by fans. They noticed that. There's no expectations on this team. You know, all the ratings have them in the low 80s in terms of wins. And all of they've done is become one of the most dominant teams, the most dominant team in May. And they've carried that on here in the first couple of days of June. What do it you is, think? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable to see what this team has been doing. I mean, they have lost one game, one game in their last 10. I, I mean, it, it is pretty remarkable to just see how this, this club has just rallied to – not only just for this season, but to rally against, in my opinion, the front office, it almost has that major league feel, right? Like nobody want thought the Indians were going to, you know, be a good baseball team. And they just said to hell with it. We are going to rally. We are going to show this front office, this ownership group, 
that we are really good. So it makes it really hard for them to make a decision come the trade deadline. We're going to get into that a little later. But, I mean, this ball club has been fun to watch. They're exciting. And it's just been a surprise. Like, it's just been a real surprise for me to see how this ball club has come together. Because I got to say, I did not expect them to be as good as they have been so far. The month of May was fantastic. And uh, the month of June is really going to be telling as we see this whole month unfold and how this baseball team performs. So let's move on to the the second inning. And Ryan, I'll outline the opponents. I'll outline the schedule for those that don't have it in front of you. This schedule's not getting any easier. We've talked about that tough month of May and the people and the teams that they they battled. The fact that you take that Cleveland series out of it, these Cubs haven't actually lost a series uh, since one that started in April. But you can expect a couple series to be a little bit different than the one we just saw against the Padres. They've got three more against the Padres, who on on most lists are the number one team in baseball from a ranking system. They've got four against the Giants on the road. Uh, where the Giants are actually leading the NL West, which a lot of uh, people have said that is the toughest division in baseball. They've got three at home against the Cardinals. They've got the Indians who swept them in the two-gamer. They've got four against L.A., who is legit. And then they've got three against the Brewers, who aren't going anywhere. The only dog on this schedule is versus the Marlins in the middle of the month, who are very much underperforming. Ryan, how do you feel about what needs to happen here in June? And as you look on the schedule, is this the, is this the make or break month or is it okay if they finish 500 against a really stacked lineup? Well, it's, it's fine if they finish on, at 500 against this stacked lineup, but this is a make or break month for a couple of reasons, Chad. One is because we're going to really see how good this baseball team is. I mean, yes, they've played some really good teams. We saw the sweep against San Diego. You know, we saw this team. Um, you know, take two or three from the Cardinals. They they won three or four from the Nationals. So we know they can play some good baseball, right? They beat the Dodgers. They swept them. But now we're going to see how well they play on the road. And not only that, we're going to see how well this team can handle, um, you know, easily the toughest stretch of the season and what is ultimately going to determine if this team stays together or not throughout the rest of the year. So I think 500 is a great goal for this team to have in the month of June, especially when you see all the teams that they are going to have to go up against, especially on the road. So um, this is a key series and it's ultimately going to define this season, in my opinion, if they're going to be um, buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. What about you? 18 games on the road here in June, 18 games up against, uh, let's see, eight games at home. So that right there, we've talked about the Cubs road woes and who knows why they had those road woes. Cause this team doesn't look like the team we saw in April, but 18 games and every one of those games is either against a division leader or someone who is projected to be in the playoffs. And then the brewers who are never going to give the Cubs a tough game. So yeah, 500 uh, for the rest of this uh, uh, this month after what they just did to the Padres is a tremendous month. They would still be nine games over 500. And you're right, it, it sets it up right. If this team somehow loses its magic in the bullpen, suddenly realizes they've got a whole bunch of no-name players that are, are doing an amazing job, and no-name players who start playing no-name, um, this, this uh, could all implode very quickly, and that could lead us right into the trade deadline. But I'm not thinking about the trade deadline right now. After what the Cubs have done over the last month and a couple days, 
this team has swagger, they have confidence, and they I think they're flying to San Diego or San Francisco rather as loose as can be. And let's see what happens here against those four four games against the Giants and then the three games against the Padres before they're back home for a few against the Cardinals. All right. So let us move on now to the third inning, Chad, and it uh delves very uh you know nicely into this next inning. Well, what should Jed Hoyer do? You know, I think there was uh, some thought in the, uh, you know, the Chicago media that the Cubs were kind of hoping, or at least the front office and the ownership was kind of hoping that this team would not be very good and it would make a, a very easy decision to trade some of these big parts like the Chris Bryants and the Craig Kimbrels and maybe some other people to, uh, you know, rebuild, so to speak. And the Cubs are throwing a wrench into that plans. The players are at least. So if you're Jed Hoyer, what do you do in this spot if you get a call from, let's say, the Braves or the Yankees or somebody like that, even though the Cubs are in first place and they're willing to offer you a King's ransom for Chris Bryant? Now, the Cubs are in first place, Chad. Would you consider an offer for a King's ransom for one of these big time players? Or do you just say, nope, still going all in? What do you do if you're Jed Hoyer? What do you do if you're the front office of the Angels and you've got Trout signed for the rest of his lifetime and they give you a King's ransom? You hold on to the guy that's that's a, the face of your franchise. You hold on to the guy that actually gives you a really good chance to win. The Angels aren't winning anytime soon. The Cubs are showing that they're a legitimate deal. And Chris Bryant, you posed it specifically about Chris Bryant, you – you don't get rid of the guy that right now is the National League MVP, the top guy in the net. And the reason I say this over and over again is he is a, he can't not be the most valuable player in the National League. The guy has started five different positions at least five different times. There's not another guy in all of baseball that can do that, much less be in the mid mid teens and home runs, and then also um, hitting the cover off the ball. You know, batting over three thirty. So you don't make that move unless you literally get an entire ransom that will set up your front off. Your, your, in other words, you're not going to get the deal. Teams don't deal like that anymore, especially for position players. And the only way Chris Bryant's going to get moved now is if team this team starts to falter. They're in great shape. I said this to you in the very beginning of this season before it started. Why would Jed Hoyer take over this team in order to be the guy that blows up this team? Wouldn't he want to in his first season win a World Series? Don't you think the Ricketts, who have had a top five payroll the last several years, wouldn't they want to win another World Series? Wouldn't that make this fan base who has seen the winningest run in all of Cubs history since 2015, don't you think that fan base would be pretty happy if this team makes a deep run into the playoffs? So I think it's silly. I think it's media fodder to think that this team was designed to be broken up before this run with this core group of guys um, ends. And this group right now is healthy, they're strong, and they're showing what they're capable of. Yeah, and I think that's all fair. I mean, I guess the only difference I would say with the Trout and Bryant situation is Bryant is, you know, his contract's up after this year. Trout is under contract. So it's like you got to make that decision. Are you yeah, you're, but you're locking in the best player well, wait, in baseball. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just Trout. say this. But let me yeah. just say this. Are, are you going to hold on to Brian and just take a chance that you might not be able to re-sign him next year? Or do you sit there and say, listen, I got to think about the future. And if I'm getting a huge ransom back, maybe I have to consider it. Now, I'm of the camp that I think you hold on to Brian. I think you owe it to this fan base. I think you have to, like, give this team an opportunity to at least win the division. Because once they get to the playoffs, anything can happen, right? Like, you can sit here and say they're not good enough to win the World Series. That may be the case. But you also have to say that if you're in the postseason, 
anything can happen in the postseason. So if you get that chance, you got to at least give your team a chance to, you know, show that they have a shot. Um, the other part of it is if the Cubs come out of this June month and they're at 500 for the month and they're, you know, let's say they go 13 and 13, they're still nine games over 500. Well, then you got to sit there and say, do I add to this team? Do I have to make moves to get a, a, a bona fide starting pitcher who's an ace or increase, you know, another bat in the lineup? Like these are also things that Jed Hoyer is going to do. So that's why I say at the end of the day, this month, in the next six weeks, Chad, we're going to ultimately know what this Cubs team is and what they're going to do for the rest of the year when it comes to these key players. Absolutely fantastic points. Didn't mean to cut you off on the front end. Um, I think when you look at what this team has, I don't care about June 2nd, 2022. I don't care about October of 2022. I care right now. So any moves that impacts that in a negative way, that's going to be a rough thing for the fourth inning. That dovetails perfectly into the fourth inning. And whether it's Nico Horner, P.J. Higgins, uh, let's talk about Sergio Alcantara. Let's talk about Eric Sogard, Rafael Ortega, Matt Duffy, Patrick Wisdom, who was all of a sudden the biggest stud in Cubs history. Um, you've got Jake Marzenek, who, uh, along with Jason Hayward, are, are kicking off their uh, rehab assignments in, in uh, AAA. You've got David Bodie, Ian Happ. Um, actually, I just went into one of the starters. But I just listed off the depth of this team. And I'm going to tell you many Cubs fans, except for the ones that are deep track Cubs fans, they didn't really know a lot of those guys. They knew the Nico Horners of the world. They knew the Alcantara's of the world, but a lot of those guys, the Patrick wisdoms, raise your hand. If you're listening right now and you're like, I'm all in on Patrick wisdom before the season started. What do you think? Is this Cubs farm system? Suddenly are they sneaky? Good. We just didn't know. Are they better than advertised? Apparently so, Chad, because not only have they come in and made an impact, I mean, they've done it relatively quickly in a way that nobody would have expected, right? You name the guys, you've talked about the Ortegas and, you know, the Tony Walters and, you know, I mean, the Alcantaras and the Patrick Wisdoms. And these guys are, are, are billing out of their minds. Now, some of it may be because they just don't know how to pitch to these guys yet and the book's not out on them yet. Um, even the pitching staff, you know, the guys like the Tommy Nances of the world or, you know, the, I mean, the Keegan Thompson's like, it's just unbelievable to me. I, I am so impressed. And maybe, maybe that, you know, the, the Cubs did a better job of kind of bringing in some of these free agents in the off seasons, like the Cole Stewart's that have, you know, kind of like you were saying in the beginning of the show, have a chip on their shoulder, want to prove something, want to show that these teams that let them go, they shouldn't have done that. And now they're making an impact here at the major league level because they're playing for contracts and they're playing for the opportunity to maybe showcase their skills somewhere else. So I, I am absolutely so impressed. And I, I've said this before. I think what is most impressive about this team isn't the fact that they're in first place. It's more how they have gotten to first place. And for me, these guys who have stepped in for some of these injured players have absolutely been as good as advertised and have been playing out of their minds. And it is a huge reason why the team is in the position they're in. What about you? Two points I want to make on this one. We could do a whole inning just on the success of, of the pitching development and Cubs pitching development is showing us something this year. We've never seen. We've literally never seen this much depth, this much quality, um, this much success on the mound. This is this is one of the top bullpens in all of baseball. They're showing it day in and day out, um, and they're a fearsome uh, group. And if this the starting staff, you know, can come in, if if a guy like Cole Stewart can come in and make a start, 
and get to five innings and, and look dominant doing it against a team like the Padres. And five innings is enough, and your bullpen can come in and just shut it down, which this bullpen has consistently done over the last five weeks. That says a lot about whether it's the minor league, whether it's the pitching staff. It says great things. Here's one point, the second point I want to make, which is this. Why do the Cubs have to suddenly – why does Jed – why does Jed Hoyer suddenly have to look at his top line stars and make moves? He now has more tradable pieces. He has more assets. He has more movable pieces that if he has to, as the healthier guys come back, Nico comes back, other people get back into the, into the flow. He has assets that he can actually move that may be for some depth, maybe for a shot in the arm in, in a year or two, somewhere further down the bullpen. So that's what I'm really excited about. This team has so many interchangeable parts, so many utility players that this team hasn't seen in such a long time. They, they really struck gold in this, uh, in this group. We're not seeing some of the junk that this team has had um, that were, they were overcommitted to in the last couple of years. And, and I think that says a lot about the front office, and it gives them a lot more moving pieces, movable pieces, as we get further down the road. All right, so let us move on now to the fifth inning, Chad. And this team's getting healthy again. There were 12 12 players, and, and there are 12 key players that were on the IL for this baseball team. And uh, now it seems like they are starting to get healthy. Uh, among them, Anthony Rizzo, who was never technically on the IL, but he had sat out six games. He's back in the lineup. He is looking solid. And then, of course, you got Jake Marisnik and Jason Hayward, who are going to AAA. And then they're going to do a rehab start and catch up with the team when they are on the West Coast. So, Chad, how key is it for this team to get these players back? But then at the same time, you know, you're getting some of these players back. David Ross now has a, a great problem on his hands um, because he's going to have so much depth. And now they got to figure out who's going back to the farm as opposed to who's staying up. So um, what is your take on how David Ross is going to juggle this roster with some of the guys coming back, but yet some of the guys who have played so well potentially going back to triple a say it with me with say it with me right now david roth national league manager of the year the way he has handled all of those guys going on to the il the way he has handled all of the movable parts the way he has kept his superstars happy healthy um the ones that are still in the mix get them going get them go you know get the pitching staff going and keep them healthy is is been superhuman just absolutely fantastic he has a tough a tough job to do we're going to get into that a little bit more in the sixth inning with some of the big decisions he has to make but specifically what he has to do right now how good did it look that anthony rizzo was back at first place you don't want chris bryant at first place you want anthony there day in and day out for the rest of the season so that's going to cut down time you know, whether it's Patrick Wisdom and, and David Bodie, you know, uh, getting less and less reps at third base. But here's the thing. Right now, we don't need to worry about that because Chris Bryant's out in right field because Jason Hayward's not here. It's going to be Herculean task on David Ross's shoulder. And what he's been able to do the last four or five weeks shows that he's capable of doing it. I have all the faith in the world. And it seems like these guys that are coming up, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. They're playing because they want the opportunity. They're not putting a lot of pressure. I mean, imagine coming into a lineup and you're like, I got Baez and and I've got Chris Bryant and I've got Anthony Rizzo and Wilson Contreras. I, I've got I don't really need to do too much here. Let me just be the role player they need me to be. And I think that is what David Ross has got across to each and every one of these role guys and has allowed this this bench as they get healthy to allow just when you have your opportunity, take it and excel. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the other thing that you take away from this is depth is never a bad thing, right? I mean, the more depth you have on your baseball team, the more options you have. And this is going to give the Cubs plenty of options. And, you know, as more players come back, they're going to have to kind of figure out, like, who's going where. I have to think Rafael Ortega right now is probably the odd man out because, as you said, Chris Bryan will probably move to right field until Hayward comes back. And then from that point, you can kind of, you know, pick and choose where you you need these guys to play um these infielders guys like patrick wisdom and uh you know alcantara i mean i don't see these guys going anywhere i I can't imagine how how can you put them down back in the minors they have proved that right now you got to keep them not just in the lineup but at least you know or i should say not just on the team but in the lineup so you know, David Ross has a, a big decision to make, but as you said, it's it's at least a uh, a good problem to have, and not something that he's got to pour over and say, "Oh no, what am I going to do?" Because we don't have enough depth on this baseball team. You know, something that I keep forgetting about. One last point I want to say: typically, we're not even a third of the way into the season. Last year, 50, 50, you know, mid fifties, we were almost done with the season. So these extra players are going to be needed because I have a feeling this team is going to, they got to get used to playing 162 again, and that's going to come into play with all this depth, which is great to have. So let's move on to the sixth inning. And this is interesting. I posed this on our live studio show on the Barroom network on Monday night. I actually talked about this and we got some chats that, uh, that agreed. Uh, Jason Hayward is very close to coming back. In fact, he's getting the start. He's in the starting lineup along with Marzenek um, in center field. Jason's in right field and uh, AAA on Wednesday night, their first rehab start. We're not sure. The word is they're going to join the team in San Francisco, or at least Jason is. And Ryan, oh, this team's success, this run, this collection of really good games and, and really versatile lineups, um, has kind of coincided with Jay Hay not being in this lineup. What I posed on Monday night was, you know, does this team have to make a really tough payroll decision? Does Jay Hay actually fit into the future success of this team? Because you and I both know when he's hot, he's hot. But when he's not, which is most of the time, he is a black hole in the lineup. Where does Jay Hay fit into the 2021 Chicago Cubs when he starts coming back? Yeah, well, I think he's going to get the opportunity to at least play right field in the interim because I I don't feel like Chris Bryant playing in the outfield is ultimately the best place for him. I understand he can basically play anywhere on the field, but I think, you know, Hayward is still somebody who's got a great glove. It's a terrible contract. We all know that. I mean, we have two more years of this afterwards, and I, I don't see a scenario unless he's in his last year of his deal where the Cubs could find maybe a trading partner for him and the Cubs would have to kind of take on salary of another expiring contract or somebody else in that matter. But, you know, I I think Hayward's going to get the opportunity to come back, but I also feel like that if he is struggling like he has been, I don't see where David Ross can continue to keep him in the lineup. You know, his glove is is second to none. I mean, he's, he's, you know, arguably the best right fielder in the game defensively, but you're right. Like that bat, I mean, (laughs) you're not getting much from the plate and the Cubs really thought they were getting a better hitter when they initially signed him. And that has just not been the case. And it is just, it's the worst contract the Cubs have ever signed in team history. I mean, I, I think that's safe to say like eight years, $184 million. It's just, was a bad deal. It was just a bad deal that Theo made. And now the Cubs are, are, you know, sleeping in that bed. So I think he's going to get an initial 
chance to prove himself, but if he continues to struggle, I, I can see him sitting on the bench, Chad. I really can. What about you? This team is a better team without Jason Hayward in the lineup on a daily basis, as shown by the last four or five weeks. And, and that pains me to say, because I think Jason Hayward's a tremendous guy. I think that he brings to the table uh, the ability to lock down 40% of the outfield. It makes your outfield a lot better. Um, and it's a consistent presence out there in right field. But you know what? We're not losing anything with Chris Bryant in right field. The versatility of this lineup, allowing all the mixes, it changes when right field is locked down. That changes. There is no ability to move Chris Bryant around to different positions when Jay Hay gets back. And it's better to have the ability for Chris Bryant to have the flexibility to play in different positions, to work in the other guy. So you lose flexibility. And then what you get in return, Jason Hayward was before he left in his 39 games, a, a 183 hitter. And let's be honest, 183 was where a lot of guys were in April. Um, but Jason Hayward can't seem to get out of his own way from a hitting perspective. Uh, you know, it's, it's, Jason Hayward, a slow chopper to the right side to end an inning or end a rally, that, that is, that's just the defining image of his career as a Chicago Cub. So I don't know how much leash this team is going to have. I, if Jed Hoyer could make a heroic move and it would require eating for the Ricketts to sign off on eating a lot of salary, I think one of the best pass forward, if this doesn't work out, if Jason doesn't find his stroke, which why would we think he'd find his stroke after he's been here for come, you know, in, in his fifth season since 2016, them finding a trading partner where they can unload a lot of this contract and get probably very little in return or another movable part where somebody else doesn't want them either might be the best path forward for the Chicago Cubs. But who knows if that'll happen? We're going to see in the next week and a half with Jason Hayward's presence back in the lineup, what that's going to do to the dynamics, the chemistry and the success of the Chicago Cubs team. It's time for the Golden Cubs Fun Fact of the Week, brought to you by our partners at Golden Rule Entertainment. It wasn't until 1988 that the Chicago Cubs had lights put in at Wrigley Field. The date of that first night game was 8-8-88 versus the Philadelphia Phillies. However, the game was rained out, and it wasn't until the following day on August 9, 1988, that was officially recorded as the first night game at Wrigley Field. The Cubs won 6-4 over the New York Mets. And that's your Golden Cubs Fun Fact of the Week, brought to you by Golden Rule Entertainment, offering big league opportunities while owning a piece of a minor league-style ball club. To find out more information about how you can become an owner, go to www.goldenruleentertainment.com. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the Friendly Confines. We have a great guest this week, longtime fixture in the Chicago sports scene. You've seen him on WMAQ NBC. You saw him for a long time on ABC Channel 7. Well, guess what? Now he's back on ABC <laughs> Channel 7, and he's kind enough to join us here for a few minutes on the seventh inning stretch of the Friendly Confines. It is Mark Shanowski. Mark, how you doing? Thank you so much for joining us here on the seventh inning stretch with Chad and Ryan. I am doing very well. You know, it's been kind of an interesting summer. I was doing a little bit of freelance work at uh, Stadium, which is an online outlet. They run their 
uh, 5.30 weeknight show on Marquee Sports Network. So I was doing some Bulls analysis for them. I'm also doing a podcast with Stacey King called Give Me the Hot Sauce, which has been a ton of fun. We've, we're up to 31 episodes now with that. So I invite your listeners to check that out. And, you know, it's the Channel 7 thing kind of came up out of nowhere. They were looking for some part-time help. My schedule was pretty open, and it was a good fit. So I'm looking forward to, you know, working with Jim Rose and Dion Miller and all the good folks over there. I was uh, I anchored sports last weekend over the Memorial Day holiday, and I'll help them out from time to time doing some shows and doing some reporting. And it's going to be fun. It's a perfect fit. And at this point in my career, it's, it's, it's uh, an ideal situation. Well, it's great to talk to you, and it's, it's great to talk some, you know, baseball with you, and uh, obviously a lot to get through with the Cubs right now. Uh, they seem to be, in my opinion, right now becoming the story of the summer. I know all eyes were kind of <laughs> on the White Sox, but in your opinion right now, are the Cubs kind of turning into the, the story that maybe the media and, and kind of everyone's going to be looking at um, throughout, you know, the, the next three months, per se? Well, those of us who make our living in the media always root for a good story. And the Cubs always seem to be a good story, even when they're not playing well. They always seem to have a lot of drama surrounding the team. Their fan base is so loyal and so passionate that they're always going to be in the spotlight no matter what's going on. And as you know, they got off to such a terrible start this year. Um, you know, Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies could not get guys out. And it was so frustrating. You're thinking, wow, this could be a 100-loss team. They're going to sell off half the roster, and it's going to be starting over on the north side. And then the calendar flipped to May, and all of a sudden the offense woke up. Guys were hitting again. Hendricks and Davies found their stuff, and they were pitching up to their career norms. Adbert Alzelay has been so good. as a guy who was supposed to be the fifth starter, but with his stuff, he's certainly better than that. And it's all come together. The bullpen has been lights out. You know, it's one of the best in baseball this month. Everything has gone right that went wrong in May. Now I have the question the Cubs fans have, is can it, they sustain this over the final four months of the season? And if they do, will Jed Hoyer have to reverse course and be a buyer at the deadline instead of selling off all these veteran pieces? Well, you, you bring up some good points. So let's start here. And you may have even alluded to it in your answer. What does surprise you the most about this team so far through the first couple of months? Definitely the bullpen. You know, early on in the season, they were kind of running the express between their alternate site and the Cubs because they had a lot of injuries. They had guys out for various reasons. And mostly it was because of ineffectiveness. Guys were not doing the job in the bullpen. And they were trying to find somebody, anybody, besides Andrew Chafin, who could get the ball to the closer. And, you know, there, it was just a rotating cast of characters. And you're wondering, when are they going to find the guys who can get outs in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning? And then, lo and behold, Ryan Tapera becomes lights out, just getting everybody out. They call up Tommy Nance from the minors, a guy that no one had heard of. He's throwing 97-98 with great location and then looking like a guy you can use in high leverage situations. And all the pieces have kind of locked in from six, seven, eight inning to the closer, Craig Kimbrell, who has been pitching as good or better than he has at any point in his career. I mean, he hit 99 on the gun the other day. And is you know the problem when he first came over to the Cubs was not necessarily velocity. It's like he couldn't throw strikes. He was walking guys. There were constantly men on base, and it was creating some high-stress situations. Now he's had so many clean saves where he just blows away three guys and, and cue up the music. You know, it's time to play Go Cubs Go. And, and that's the way you like your closer to be. You want, you want the other team to know that when we're bringing in our guy, game's over. you got no chance. 
Mark, you, you know, we're talking about some of the guys from the bullpen that were brought up from the farm. There was so much talk in the offseason about this team needed to replenish the farm system. That field kind of left the cupboard, you know, bare, so to speak. But then you're seeing these guys like Patrick Wisdom and, you know, Ancantara and Ortega and these bullpen guys that you've been talking about. Is the farm system, was it maybe a little better? than what we gave them credit for? Or is this just a situation where maybe we're just seeing these guys come up, nobody quite knows how to hit against them or really pitch to them at this point in their careers? Well, I think the farm system still has a lot of room for improvement. You know, some of the guys you mentioned were cast-offs by other organizations that the Cubs brought in. Yes, they were at the alternate site at the beginning of the year and then went uh, started playing for Iowa when they began their season in late April. But these aren't grown and developed Cubs. Patrick Wisdom was a high pick by the St. Louis Cardinals. And how satisfying is that to see a Cardinal cast-off doing well for the Cubs? And some of the relief pitchers who have come have had cups of coffee in other organizations, but now they're getting a chance to, to flourish with the Cubs. You know, uh, Alzali, of course, is homegrown. That's a good thing to see. And, and I think we're going to have to see more of the guys at the lower levels work their way all the way up through the system and then see if they can contribute at the major league level. There's Still looking for more starting pitching. You know, uh, Zach Davies is kind of plugging a hole. He was, of course, acquired in the U Darvish trade, but there's no long-term commitment there. Jake Arrieta is at the end of his great career. You know, he is right now, he's not a top of the rotation guy. If they're in this race, if they're in first place on July 31, you know, the, the irony of this whole thing is they traded U Darvish in the offseason thinking that would be the first uh, step in their mini rebuild. Now, they could be in a situation where they're looking to acquire a guy like you, Darvish, for the front of their rotation to potentially be a starter for them in the po in the postseason. You know, the name Max Scherzer is being thrown out there. Wouldn't that be something if everything that's happened over the last six months, they're in the bidding for Max Scherzer at the deadline? Well, you bring up a great point then, and, you know, it just kind of transitions perfectly into this next question is, you're Jed Hoyer, Mark. So what do you do? Do you kind of have to play out this month of June to just ultimately decide what you're going to do? Because I don't see in any scenario how you can trade anybody right now. You, you know, obviously you can't trade Bryant. I mean, he's clearly, you know, in my opinion, the favorite for the MVP in the National League right now. And if you, even if, even if you get a call from a GM who's offering you a King's ransom for Bryant, I have to believe you're going to roll the dice this year and just say, I'm going to go all in with who I have, regardless of if they're a free agent or not next year. What, what's your thought on that? Well, as all Cub fans know, this next month is going to really tell the story of which direction they're going to go at the deadline. You know, right now they're on this tough Western road trip. You know, you would have thought playing the Giants is no big deal, but the Giants are also one of the big surprise stories in the National League. So you've got the Giants to get the Padres again out there. You've got to play the Dodgers again in their house. You know. A lot, a lot of things could change. they got more games coming up with the Cardinals. So a lot of things could change over the next month to six weeks that may get Jed back to where he was thinking at the start of the year that maybe we have to trade off some of these pieces. The problem is that the Chris Bryant thing is really, I think, a separate story than the rest of it. Because of the service time thing, the fact that there's hard feelings on the Bryant camp with Scott Boris as his agent, I just don't know if that signing is ever going to be able to get done with the Cubs unless they offer him exactly what Scott Boris is asking for, which seems kind of unlikely. You know, as good as Chris Bryant has been this year, and he has been fantastic, you know, he's, he's approaching 30 now, and you wonder with the injuries he's had in recent years, are you going to commit to like seven years, you know, uh, what would it be, 
300 million maybe for Chris Bryant. I, I mean, I don't know, even as well as he's playing, whether Jed Hoyer and, and the Ricketts family is willing to dole out those kind of dollars. I think they'll, they'll go competitively to bring Javi back. I think they'll be competitive in wanting to keep Anthony Rizzo as a Cub. But I just think the Bryant thing is going to be tough to get done because of all the past history. Just forget yeah. the baseball part of it. I think it's just the personal stuff. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you on that. And I think, to your point, we've seen so many examples of players who have signed those 10-year deals for 300-plus million, and it hasn't worked out. It, it's been a bad contract. You have so many – Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, you know, I mean, right. it goes on and on, right? So I could see – a scenario, but to your point, Boris being his agent, I could potentially see a scenario offering him five, six years tops and try to make him the highest paid third baseman. But anything beyond that, you're right. I, I don't see the Cubs going longer than that. Yeah, I think if Bryant had gotten off to either a, a poor start or just an average kind of start, I think maybe there would have been some sentiment, at least in Bryant's part, that he's happy with the Cubs. He likes David Ross as his manager. He knows that he's well-respected by the fans and the media here, that maybe he would have given them just a tad of a hometown discount. But now he's putting up MVP-type numbers. Now Boris and Bryant are going back to the original strategy. We're going we're gonna to squeeze these guys for every last dollar. And if they don't give it to us, we know Scott Boris is not afraid to take a premier client on the market and try to wrangle every last dollar he can get. And our thanks once again to Mark Shinowski, now of WLS. ABC 7. He, it's his second tour of duty with uh, Channel 7. Great to see him and uh, great for him to spend a few minutes with us here on the Friendly Confines. And again, you can find him on Twitter at Mark Shanowski. You can find Chad and I also on Twitter. I am at Ryan D. Lieber. Chad is at the Chad Gordon. And plus, we have our Facebook page. It's the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page. We also have a website as well, Chad. Yeah, go to theconfines.com. And if you sign up at the very, very bottom, you can be alerted every time we have special episodes, uh, every time we have a web, a, a, a studio episode, or even new new podcasts. You can set it so you get an episode or a, a update every day that we get one, or you get one once a week. But uh, um, we're slowly going to start doing a little bit more on that website. We're pretty excited about uh, the, the viewership that we've gotten so far. But go to theconfines.com and uh, get started today. Awesome stuff. As we begin the eighth inning in Chad, um, you know, the Wrigley Field is at 60% right now, even though uh, it sounds like it could be 100% when you're at the stadium with the way the fans have been. Um, you know, it still seems like we are at least a month away um, from full capacity. Now, the city of Chicago is going to be at 100% capacity for restaurants and bars on June 11th, but still no word about the Cubs getting at full capacity. Now, you're a season ticket holder. You've had to be moved around. You're the one that, you know, is obviously dealing with tickets and whatnot. How frustrating is this for fans like yourself and season ticket holders when the city of Chicago has not given any indication as to when the Cubs should be able to go to 100% like some other baseball teams in Major League Baseball? You know I hate doing, like, pure rants. So I'll start with the optimism. We heard so many times um, about the value of – the way 
the federal landmark, the way Wrigley Field sounded and felt with 60% with fans. It's and, and, and the players are jazzed up about it. The Cubs, what did I say last year? Javi Baez is not a player that likes to play in front of no, no, in front of no one. And he is heated up once this, this uh, capacity got to 60%. So it's such a positive. So when it goes to 100 and people are healthy and all the health measures are in place, yes. But as a, as a season ticket holder, it's really frustrating. We're recording this on Wednesday. The next time the Cubs are in town is, is a week from Friday. What the Cubs have been doing is they initially did the first homestand and you could buy tickets for whatever game. They realized that was a mess. And then the next two, they bought them. They were able to do them in batch. So this last 16 batch of games, you selected the best available tickets based on your seniority. And then you got all 16 games, whether you got two or you got four. You couldn't do one, couldn't do three. Well, I think the Cubs are really hoping that the city says, okay, yeah, go to 100% capacity. But again, it's Wednesday, and in about nine days, there's going to be a Cubs-Cardinal game, and then and then two more, and suddenly we're probably going to be given all of our tickets. Tickets are going to go and sell to the public. There's going to be no market. It's hard to plan for that, and so it's it's kind of, it kind of stinks. So it's kind of frustrating, but then the Cubs are going to get that series filled out, but I think it's not going to be a full capacity or, or season ticket holders like me who have to plan to be there for all three games it's going to be kind of a mess. I want the, the stadium to be to 100% capacity, but my thought on this is let's at least do the Cardinal game to 60% now so we can count on what's possible um, because I have so many friends that are asking me for those series, for those games and those tickets, and I'm like, Cubs haven't released any. So if you see any tickets right now as of Wednesday on StubHub, those aren't real tickets. Those are speculators. And I, I want my tickets. I want to be able to plan. I want to be able to plan for my friends and even my uh, attendance as well. It's really frustrating. The Cubs, I think, have done a good job. This is one where they have been absolutely silent on their Cubs season ticket to Facebook page and the emails they send us. They could do a much better job of communicating. Well, I, th- I think part of the issue, Chad, is they don't have the answer because they don't really have any recourse. Well, then make the move to 60%. That's what I'm saying. Right. But what I'm saying is as well is that they can't, I don't think there's really any recourse that whether the the Cubs or the White Sox, for that matter, have when it comes to the capacity situation. That's going to be a decision that the city of Chicago, the mayor, will make that choice. And, you know, she's talking about July or sometime in July. And, you know, that that's frustrating. I'm sure the Cubs are just as frustrated as you are because they are not able to have fans in the stands. And every day that there are less fans in the stands, that's less money that's going into the Ricketts pockets. So, I have no doubt in my mind that they want this to happen, and I think they're starting to chirp a little bit more every time the questions are broached to the front office or the ownership group about, hey, is there been any talk about this team getting 100% capacity in their future? And I'm sure um, as you know, the dates continue to get closer and teams um, in other cities continue to get to 100% capacity, it's just going to shine more of a light And, you know, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, really needs to make a decision either way and say, this is what we are going to do. Because if the state of Illinois decides that, you know, hey, June 11th, we're in the phase five, the city of Chicago needs to maybe get on board and say, okay, we can do this, too, um, and and try to to push that. Maybe not necessarily June 11th, but, you know, the end of June or, or before July starts so that we have a, more of an opportunity for people like yourself to be able to go to those games. My point is nine days from now, the Cubs-Cardinals home series is in play, and no right. one has a ticket to any of those games. So if it's 60%, come on, Cubs, come on. Sell the 60% tickets, get those 20. And then if all of a sudden, two days before, you can go to 100, 
then put those on sale. There'll be a clamor, there'll be excitement, but you're really hosing the season ticket holders right now and the general fan who wants to plan ahead and wants to be at that series. So it's frustrating, and I'm hoping this will be a thing of the past sooner rather than later, but the Cubs dropped the ball, at least on this Cardinal series. It's left a lot of people like me not sure what the heck to do and how to plan for it. All right, let's move on to the sixth, uh, the ninth inning, not the sixth inning, the ninth inning. We're almost done here. And a really special thing, and I got to tell you, I what took the Cubs so long uh, on Wednesday, and we're going to see some teams do this on Thursday who didn't play today, this was the first ever Major League Baseball Lou Gehrig Day. And uh, obviously all around ALS and trying to find a cure for ALS, and there's there's a lot of notable people um, and, and probably people of our listeners who uh, have family members who are affected by ALS. What a special thing. Um, what a great opportunity. This is when um, this is when I shake my head at people who say, you know, sports teams should stay out of out of uh, uh, taking a stand on something, because I think this is the best time when leagues can take a stand on anything. It's about awareness. It's about raising money. They do an amazing job uh, around breast cancer. Um, what did you think um, about Major League Baseball starting what is now going to be an annual tradition, creating Lou Gehrig's uh, day um, around Major League Baseball? And, and honestly, it's, it's a, an idea whose time is well overdue. It's been 75 years, Chad, since Lou Gehrig passed away. And in that time, the cure for ALS is the same cure that it was when Lou Gehrig passed away. There is no cure. And it is sad to see because of the fact that this is a disease that is very rare and does not strike as many people. Um, but yet now we're starting to see it come more to the forefront. Um, there have been, you know, several prominent people. Uh, Steve Gleason, who was at the Cubs game today, throwing out the first pitch, former New Orleans Saints, who has ALS, who has, you know, made strides and has now, you know, kind of become a face for what this is all about. Boog Shambi who has a close friend who he went to Boston College with, who, um, you know, started, um, what was it, the Ice Bucket Challenge, who recently passed away, and that was one of his close friends. He's somebody that has been very involved, Boog Shambi has been. So it is great to see that this is a disease that is starting to get more attention, because even though it is a rare disease, it is still something that w has no cure, that unfortunately when people get it, it is a death sentence, and it is unfortunately one of the worst um, afflictions that somebody can get uh, because it is basically a degenerative brain disease that causes your body to lose all function. And I can imagine there is nothing worse than being trapped in your body, knowing what is happening, Chad, but you lose all of your, uh, you know, basically your, your body movements and the ability to speak and to do anything. And so it is a crippling crippling disease and i hope that it allows um you know our scientists to get more funding to one day find a way to slow down this disease or hopefully one day maybe not in our lifetime but one day to find a cure for als as well it's i just looked this up 220 million dollars worldwide was raised during the ice bucket challenge and that seems like a good chunk of change um my hope with baseball doing this my hope with them putting some more funding behind this my hope with more awareness building because you are right it's a small um a small number of people it, it's not as as pervasive it's not as as uh, um 
you know, it hasn't decimated as many families as, as cancer has. Um, my hope is this will lead to some sort of breakthrough because this has been something that has just stymied uh, scientists and researchers um, for, as you said, um, three quarters of a century. And so I hope that happens. If you've had people that are affected by this, it's, it's incredible. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm glad that, again, as I shared earlier, that baseball, Major League Baseball, sporting um, uh, uh, leagues um, have the ability and the platform to take stands on this, raise money, raise awareness, because that could be the, the, the pitch that, that, that the scientists need um, to be able to find a, a cure and get this wiped out. So no more, no other people are affected by this, but great um, opportunity for the awareness, great opportunity to teach the young folks about Lou Gehrig and, and for, and for people to, to find more about, because a lot of people just know ALS from those videos a few years ago of dumping water on people's head and they, you know, whether they not, they, they dug into the debilitation of it and what happens. Um, this is a good step forward into the awareness so people can take a bigger stand um, because through if together we can accomplish quite a bit. Well, well said, and that is going to wrap things up on this edition of the friendly confines. Once again, our thanks to Mark Shinowski from ABC channel seven for taking the time to chat with us. For Chad, I am Ryan. We appreciate you as always. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Have a good one. We'll see you at Petco Park Monday night, everybody. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game. For I've seen other teams and it's never the same. When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're a field. The first time you walk into Wrigley.